You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. The economy exists because of people, and yet so many economists have totally missed the mark when it comes to demographics. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today is an internationally respected demographer who's been able to forecast economic, cultural, and political phenomena with uncanny accuracy. Ken Grombach is president of KGC Direct and author of the current book, Upside, Profiting from the Profound Demographic Shifts Ahead, and The Age Curve, How to Profit from the Coming Demographic Storm. He's here to share his insights with us on The Real Well Show. So with that, Ken, I want to welcome you to The Real Well Show. I got to hear you on Marcus Millichap, and I was so blown away. I said, okay, we've got to get you on this show, and here you are. So thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Uh, so you, um, obviously demographics play a huge role in economics, right? We know that the baby boomers drove a lot of economics. We're aging now, so we're buying different things than we did 40 years ago. What is the largest demographic group today, and how are they affecting um, uh, the economy. You're talking about the United States? Yeah, let's start with the United States. Okay, well, the largest group is a group born 1985 to 2004. It's called Generation Y Millennials, and there are 88 million of them, roughly 10 million, give or take, more than the boomers. They're the boomers' kids for the most part, and they're huge. And, and uh, in terms of housing, they don't have any. <laughs> they're going to live in their cars. And that's, and that's, that's the big story because unless we um, step up <clears throat> our building of structure of housing units uh, over the course of their generation, really for like the next 15 years, we're about 25 million housing units short. That's a lot of housing. Wow. Okay. So there has been so much fear that we're going to have another 2008. There's going to be a housing crash. Prices are up. Uh, yeah, no, that's impossible. Yeah. That's what I keep telling my daughter, who is at the peak age of the millennials. She's 29 years old, and she keeps saying, I'm just going to wait for house, uh, home prices to go down. And I'm like, okay, you're going to be waiting a long time, honey. Yeah, tell her, tell her to buy now. That's what I, I, I tell my kids. My, I've got a daughter 26 and a daughter 29. Okay, yeah. And, you know, she did own in Chico, California, and but it was $250,000 to buy her house. She was 24 years old. She just sold it. She made money on it. She has a down payment. She can buy another. But she's like, Mom, I'm 29 years old. I can't be buying a million dollar house. But what matters is the payment, right? And the payment, if she bought that house, would be the same as she's paying in rent at this yeah, point. Sure. It's actually, <clears throat> it's scary. I just spoke in Canada. Boy, you don't want to be in Canada and be a young person. Because, you know, housing prices up there are, you know, uh, it's not uncommon for houses to go for a million bucks. Sure. Dollars. Yeah. It's pretty normal here in Southern California, too. Yeah, especially Malibu. Yeah. Well, she was not buying here, but uh, just over the hill, you know, we were looking at houses for her a few years ago, and there was a really nice one with a view for 750000 and I'm sure it's close to a million now. So. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in that boat, just waiting for prices to go down. and. Why would you, okay, besides the fact that we know it's a huge generation and the largest group of millennials is about 29, uh, people were talking for so many years that that the baby boomers and seniors would be moving on and, and there would be a glut of housing because of that. That, that story has died. <laughs> yeah, it well, it's because it's nonsense. See, baby boomers, for the most part, right now are, are 57 to 76. 
and they don't have dying on their punch list. So, <laughs> so if they're not going to, if they're not going to die, uh, they have to live someplace. And if they have to live someplace, then we need housing for them. And that's what's so. There's roughly 155 million housing units in the United States. Population is 330 million. The combination of uh, the baby boomers, 80 million, and their 88 million kids is 100, 168 million. Uh, finally, the, the kids are leaving home. Uh, you know, they, they stretched out uh, adolescence till 30, and now they're, they're leaving home. They're, they're 17 to 36 years old. So we, we're going to need housing for at least the next 15, 20 years. It, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's, it's only going to go up. It's the only place it can go. So you don't foresee a, a slowdown. I, I figured there would be a boom from 2020 to 2024 because I knew that's when this large group of millennials would be you know, coming into the home buying age. But then I thought there might be a slowdown in 2024, but you don't see that? No, no, not at all. No, in fact, the, the peak of, the, of, the, of, the, of our kids' generation was 1990. So that's, what does that make them, you know, 31? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so- but they're still, you know, we're still producing 4 million plus kids per year, you know, in that, in that generation. No, we're, we get up, we have to house them. And the boomers are not giving up their houses and going to live in tents. You know, they're, we have to build houses. I live in South Florida. You, you, you can't believe what's going on down here. It's, 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 it's almost scary. It's almost a vibration of housing. It's, <laughs> we need, you know, because multifamily housing is, is, is huge. We just did a big research project for Bain Capital Real Estate to that end. And there's no end in sight. There is no end in sight. Yeah, we are really bullish on the Florida area. We, we see that we very much see the growth happening there. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of us Californians are moving out there. So you might see some changes. <laughs> Actually, you, you, data-wise, you're moving to Texas. Oh. Which is, <laughs> and, okay. And, well, you just lost a house seat, you know, you, <laughs> and, and, and uh, Texas picked up too. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You, you might even, you know, the, the, the people that are escaping from California might even turn Texas blue, you know. Yeah. That, that'll be the interest, an interesting day. Uh, so, so in Florida, they're mostly coming down from the Northeast. Yeah, they come down Route Route seventy five and Route ninety five. Yeah, mm -hmm. they come. Yeah, that's. We were just remarking about that last night. I, li I live in South Florida, just above Naples, and <clears throat> my wife and I <clears throat> uh, have moved here full time uh, this last summer. We sold our house in Connecticut and moved down here. But um, we have. Uh, um, it, it is a, it's a, a favorite thing of ours to check out the license plate. Where, where are they coming from? And they come from um, up north. and in New Bunch Jersey, North. New York. Well, for the, most, for the most part, the people from the Jersey, New York, and the Northeast Pennsylvania, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine, uh, come down 95 and stay on the east side. The ones that, that stay on the west side are from essentially Midwest, but mm. still big cities, you know, it's... Uh, but they're moving here and they're moving here in droves. Wow. All right. So um, do you think that COVID-19 and the pandemic also accelerated some of these moves? Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say accelerated them. I, I think what it did is it, is it, it stalled them for a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but once, once we get on the other side of COVID, which we appear to be doing as soon as people all get vaccinated, uh, you, you're going to see a... Uh, baby boomers retire 
like lemmings. I mean, they're going to bail like you cannot believe. A lot of them stayed in the labor force, which is what really screwed up Generation Y, the millennials, because the baby boomers didn't leave the labor force. But now baby boomers are 57 to 76. So come on, it's time. Let's go. Well, and they've probably made a lot of money in the stock market and in their property, so they yeah. probably can retire now. Yeah, how about that? Our, our latest calculation is they're somewhere around $100 trillion. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. When you, when you take into consideration the, the value of their real estate, the value of their stock market holdings and uh, savings, it's, it's pretty close to $100 trillion. That's, that's a lot of money. Well, it is. I mean, when you compare it to 2008, when people who were trying to retire and thought they could suddenly saw their holdings get wiped out in the stock market and in housing and maybe had to work another 10 years. Uh, but people who were able to hold on to to those things and, their, and onto their assets uh, really are retiring in a much better position. Much like better. 12 years Absolutely. later. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. And and you add to it the uh, quantitative easing, all the all the money that's been created. We already have a problem with more demand than supply, but then you add that inflation factor. How are people going to be able to afford real estate? I don't know. It's, <laughs> they'll, they'll, you know what? <clears throat> they'll find a way. We always do. That's who we are. We we find a way. We're mm -hmm. we're not. A, I always tell people. I said, you know, when it comes to the United States, don't tug on Superman's cape, because we're the best people from the rest of the world, clearly. And demographically, we are absolutely the best people from the rest of the world because the rest of the world is in trouble for the most part, demographically. In the United States, the Americas, Canada, United States, Mexico, Central and South America are not. Canada to a degree, but we're in good shape. The Americas, and What do you mean by that? They're, they're not having babies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's going to happen... One of the things that's going to contribute, you know, obviously one of the things that's contributing to inflation right now is, is supply chain. If you can't get stuff and you don't have enough of it and you have demand, price goes up. Simple as that. But you also have a situation in um, in China, for instance, where under 40 years old, they're missing a half billion people, 500 million, because of their one-child-only policy. So what's happened to their labor force? Well, their labor force started to shrink three years ago. What will happen to it? They're not going to have one. So if they don't have a labor force, if they don't have a labor force that will work for 25% of what the rest of the world will work for, then they're not going to fill up Walmart with their goods. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have uh, ships, uh, you know, stalled off of uh, Long Beach because we're not, you know, manufacturing is already coming back to the United States. Why? Because we have labor and they don't. And it's all relative to your given population. They're in trouble. You, you, are you following that whole, um, uh, you know, the, I, I can't think of the name of it right now, but there's a development company in China that uh, builds everything. They built all the infrastructure and they build office buildings and they build the housing, but it, it's empty. Mm -hmm. well, why is it empty? Well, it's because they built for a population that doesn't exist. China's big, big issue is going to be, how are they going to care for their elderly? And they're going to have hundreds of millions of elderly who cannot feed themselves. So it's, it's a, wow. the United States is in good shape. We're fine. We're, Do you think um, China will uh, take immigrants to, to cover the labor issue? No, no, no. They're, they're xenophobic. They don't do it. They don't, they don't like immigrants. It's like Japan, Japan doesn't do immigrants. And, and the same thing with uh, South Korea. South Korea is in big trouble because they don't have, just not having babies. 
I mean, they get, they'll have fun for a while. They'll have a demographic dividend because they won't have the, the dependency of children. And that does spike an economy. Yeah. But if you don't have kids, it's about, you're about 20, 25 years away from not having any labor. And then what? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, my one of my best friends went to France and ended up falling in love and, and uh, marrying a Frenchman, and they th- you were paid by the government if you would get pregnant and have a baby and all your childcare, all your healthcare, everything was paid for because they were they saw the problem that that the French were just not not having children, and uh, so they you know they had everything covered. They they were given diapers, you know, uh, because they ended up having twins. Uh, so I don't know has has Europe improved and with their demographics? Well, it, it depends on your perspective. You see, uh, Europe has, has essentially had a self-imposed one-child-only policy for about 30 years, maybe a little bit more. So where'd they pull their labor? Because you needed labor for the wealthy, you know, for the people that needed labor in, in France, let's say. So where did it come from? It came off of North Africa, and it came in the form of folks who are Muslims. The Muslim culture, God bless them, they're you know, they're people, but their culture does not mix with Western culture. It just doesn't. So uh, <clears throat> the Muslim culture is having six kids and the indigenous folks are having one. What do you think is going to happen to Europe? Muammar Gaddafi said it would, it, the Muslims would overtake Europe without firing a shot. He was absolutely correct. It's only a matter of time. What we're seeing already is high net worth um, folks from the EU coming here. And they're coming to Canada. They're coming to the United States you know, Mexico, Central and South America. It's just a better place to live for them. Mm, yeah, I just came back from a, a trip to Europe and I forgot how magical and wonderful it is, but, and it was crowded, but uh, yeah, we're, we're certainly seeing some shifts. What is it about America? Why, why are we so prolific in making babies? Well, it, it, it's, <clears throat> 1957 was, was a record year for us with 4,300,000 babies, 1957. We broke that record uh, 51 years later in 2007 with 4,316,000 babies, 25% of which were Latino. Latinos are the best thing that's ever happened to the United States, essentially saved the country. I know, I, I tell folks, they say, you got a problem with Latinos? I said, go find a Latino, kiss them on the lips and thank them for coming. Because without them, we don't have a country in 2050 because we don't have enough people to run it. And we don't have enough taxpayers. We don't have enough labor. And you want evidence of that? Come on down to, to South Florida and, and look at who's working. We, uh, we have kids and, and we've been cruising a little low right now. We've been, you know, replacement level fertility is 2.2 kids. We've been about 1617. That's not death, but it's not good. It's not wonderful. But what we're seeing happening now, and, and the thing where all demographers are holding their breath is are our kids, Generation Y millennials, going to have children? Now, Granted, they've waited late, so their bodies might not cooperate, but we're kind of counting on them having kids, at least two, maybe three. Um, but the Latinos that we have here are having kids, and, the, and, they're, and they're wonderful because they assimilate. They're Catholics. They, they, they fit right into our Western culture. And uh, while we don't necessarily feel them yet, and I would say there's probably there could be as many as 20 or 30 million of them in the core of our nation. We don't know. And, and it's and I, I apologize for that, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics, census data and all the rest are very vague on that, on, on exactly where that is. Yeah, I remember, 
I remember when I was uh, in high school many years ago, there was talk that you know California would be more uh, would have more Hispanic population than than white, and I don't know at what point that is supposed to happen or if it has already. I think it has happened already. I think you are a minority majority. Mm-hmm. Like I know Texas is a minority majority. Uh, Florida is close, but that will happen. Period. It will happen nationwide by about twenty forty five. Interesting. Yeah. So, like I said earlier, the economy is based on demographics, right? What people are buying and what what age groups. So what are you seeing? What sectors of the economy will grow based on based on the current demographics? Well, the big ones are housing. And the second second one, which is probably even bigger, is healthcare. Baby boomers have money. Baby boomers don't have dying on their punch list. Baby boomers are moving to warmer climates. Florida will be the healthcare capital of the world, hands down. We will beat cancer, we will beat heart disease, we will beat Alzheimer's. And how do I know that? I mean, yes, that is subjective, and, and that's that's my opinion. But when you have mass and money and motivation, um, that's what it takes. And that's I, I believe that's exactly what we're seeing. Other sectors, anything that, that uh, people consume, I don't know. Your daughters have moved out of your house, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're consuming everything. When when my daughters moved out, they didn't take our lawnmower, they didn't take the vacuum cleaner, they didn't take our beds. They left all of that and they went out and consumed their own. So what you have is a body of 88 million people, which is the largest generation in history, is going to con- consume everything. Who buys the most cars in the United States? Automobiles. Uh uh, men and women of uh, 40 to 45. I don't know why that is, but I believe it's because of the, uh, the size of a family and all the driving that they must do. Uh, but uh, you have a generation right now that's the largest one in the United States history that is uh, 17 to 36 years old. Once in, in five or six years, Detroit's going to get hit and automobiles are going to get hit like, like a, a tsunami. All you have to do is look at the size of the people, the the size of the generation in the parade that's moving through a time continuum and find out and ask yourself the question, if you're selling stuff, uh, how big is my end user market? And is my end user market getting bigger or smaller? Because if my end user market is getting bigger, I I have an opportunity and I better prepare for it. If my end user market is getting smaller, I I have a problem. I've got to deal with that. You want a couple of examples? Of course. Okay, I get a call from Levi Strauss. Levi Strauss, a chief marketing officer in 1998. This, is, this was when I was shifting gears in my career. I'm very, very familiar with, with the, uh, the gene market because I, I grew a, a company from uh, $10 million to $400 million selling jeans. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was in the Northeast. And Levi's knew that. And that's why I think that's why they called me. And, and Strauss, Levi Strauss called me and he said, Ken, we are seeing, um, you know, we can't make our product fast enough. We, we've been selling our product like hotcakes for, for 20 years. He said, but all of a sudden, some of our markets are soft. Do we have a demographic issue? And I said, who's your customer? And he said, an 18 to 34-year-old man or woman. I said, you cut it off at 34. You started at 18, you cut it off at 34. Yes. Why do you cut it off? He said, well, basically, you can't fit in the product anymore. And, yeah. And that, yeah, okay. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. And I said, you know, you're a baby boomer business. And he said, of course we do. I said, the last baby boomer was born in 1964. And he said, yeah. I said, well, add 34 years to 1964. What year do you come up with? And he thought for a moment. He said, 1998. 
And I said, what year is it? And he said, 1998. She said, do we have a problem? And I said, yes, you do. He mm -hmm. said, what will happen? I said, you'll see. Well, that went from $8 billion in sales to about three in about three years. And that was because you can't, you can't mess around with this. This is, you asked me if, if uh, demography affects economics. It's the other way around. And, and uh, economics is precipitated by demographics, period. Because without people, you don't have anything. You, you don't have economics. We, uh, demographics invented economics. <laughs> well, I, I do like my sweatpants now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, very comfortable. Okay, go back. Old story, Lee Iacocca. Lee Iacocca went to Henry Ford, uh, the second, and said, we're building the wrong cars. This is 1960. And, and uh, he said, we need to build a lightweight, two-door, powerful car that's fun to drive. Well, in, in 1964 and a half, they came out with the Mustang. And, and Lee Iacocca would have been a hero if he, if he sold 100,000 units in uh, 64 and a half and then the 65 model year. Well, they sold 700,000. They could have sold about 4 million. So this is the power of shifting demography. And that's the story. So, yeah. And, it, and, and uh, Kathy, there's evidence of it everywhere. And you mm -hmm. can... You can pick out um, multi-family multi housing now because of one, because of student loans and the Generation Y millennials, uh, build it. You're going to need it. You absolutely yeah. positively are going to need it. Wow. It's been tough building though. We're in the building business and the supply chain issues make it a challenge. So it's not going to be quick that we're going to be able to bring on new supply. Ah, let me tell you a quick story about that. Here, I, I'm, I'm very tight with the plastics industry and I'm very tight with uh, the concrete industry. Guess what we're going to build houses out of? Concrete and plastic. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we will. Well, Europe has already been doing that for decades. I mean, yeah. centuries. I don't know. Makes but sense. Yeah. Yes. Especially in Florida. Especially in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> or, or anywhere in the South. Okay, so we're going to get some demographic lessons here. What, uh, let's see, what is a demographic dividend? Demographic dividend would be something similar to what um, China did. China went with the one-child-only policy. All of a sudden, the, the, they did not have to worry about a dependency ratio. Dependency ratio is having one person working who cares for kids and cares for elderly. Okay, if you don't have kids... Unless some that's, I mean, I grew up in a huge family. I, my brothers and sisters who didn't have kids had bigger cars, bigger houses, went on longer vacations. That was a demographic dividend. So what China did is they, they mandated the one-child-only policy. The parents left the child with the grandparents, went into the city and worked for 25% of what the rest of the world would work for. And they experienced a, a huge 6% uh, GDP increases. Demographic dividend, but it's short-term. It's always short term. You can't mess with nature. You, you, I mean, a family is a family. So when you have no aunts, no uncles, no nieces, no nephews, no cousins, which is what China did, they erased those, those categories of people. And they went with four grandparents, two parents, and one child. They destroyed their economy. And it's going to get a lot worse in China. A lot huh. worse. Fascinating. Uh, so what country benefited the most from uh, this dividend in the last 20 years? United States, cheap stuff. We're calling this inflation now. It's not inflation. It's what things should cost. Mm. I'm sorry. But when, when you go into Walmart and the prices of things keep on going down and they're all made in China, what the heck is that? 
What is that? Yeah. All right. Well, then let's go to another uh, lesson. What is the demographic dependency ratio? A dependency ratio, it, you know, you, you really can't have more than like a, a one working person and a couple kids and maybe a parent or two. That's a dependency rate. So it'd be one to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, when what's happening in China? Well, in China, there's there are there's no one working. If your labor starts to go down and and all the people 40 plus have have participated in a one child only policy for the last 40 years, what you have is elderly with no family. And so you know what they do? They find them dead for a month. Mm. Wow. With no family. There's nobody who checks on them. And it's exactly the same thing. It, it's a little more sophisticated in Japan, but that's what happens in Japan. They they have governmental groups uh, whose designation is to go out and find uh, dead elderly. Oh my you goodness. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, they're living alone and the kids are working and well. Well, there are, no, no, there are no kids. Right. Yeah, well, well, think about it. Why does why does China have 90 million more uh, men under 40 than uh, women? It's because they know the Chinese, when it, if, if it's a one-child-only policy, they, they cannot depend on uh, a daughter to support them. The daughter supports the husband's parents. She works with the husband's parents, not with her, not with her parents. So they they just they do gender based infanticide. 90 million, 90 million more men than women under 40. You know what? That's the population of Mexico. Think about it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. Well, for years, we've been talking about robots taking people's jobs, and there was a lot of concern about that. Based on everything you're saying, it would be great to have more automation. Do you see that coming online soon where we won't need as much labor? No. No, you'll always need labor. No, And, and robots are fine, and I, and I, I get a kick out of them. They... they and I'm, and I'm sure they will uh, go a long way to solve the problem, but they don't solve the problem. They just, mm-hmm. numerically, they just simply don't. No, they, they, they don't, when, when robots can think, really think, then maybe that'll make a difference, but we're not there yet. No, well, I appreciate you saying we're smarter than robots. I haven't heard that much lately. <laughs> 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 All right, politics. And uh, I'll just go into this briefly. Uh, there was a, a lot of people who felt that the last election was rigged. Um, but you said something really interesting in your presentation with Marcus and Millichap that, hey, it's just demographics. So what did you mean by that? First of all, there's no data to support the, the rigging of the election. It, it, it just That would be as difficult as hiding a 747 in a Walmart parking lot to rig an election like that. And it didn't happen. No, uh, Biden won. Biden won hands down. And it, and it wasn't a huge win, but he won. What, what we're experiencing right now, and I think that's going to influence politics dramatically, at least for the, and I've calculated out of about the next 11 years, is uh, we're losing a conservative every 16 seconds because they're dying. And that number is going up. On a time continuum, if you go from a new voter to dying, the new voters tend to be liberal. Remember what, wasn't it, uh, uh, Winston Churchill said, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're older, you don't have a brain. <laughs> but, but that's okay. I, I, and I don't care about that. But, but it's absolutely true. Sure. Okay, we have a monster crop of liberals. And, and they're not even voting age yet. They're still, one of, they're still 17 to 36. So we're going to be more and more and more liberal because they're coming of age to vote every eight seconds. Every eight seconds, we get a new voter who's a liberal. 
We're losing our conservatives and the people in between, the people, probably you, but unless you're, you're not a millennial, are you born after 85? I am right on the cusp. I'm 1964. Oh, 64. Yep. Oh, oh you don't look things. Very good. All right. Thank you're, you. You're a, you're a boomer. But anyway, I'm a boomer. <laughs> don't the, say it out loud. <laughs> the, the generation born 1965 to 1984 is called Generation X. Generation X is a diminutive population. It's a small generation, only 69 million people born. Uh, very, very little immigration uh, to support that, except when we started accepting the uh, Latinos, and then we took in millions of them because Generation X could not supply us with labor. But it, but as a political force, they're diminutive. So what we have is a huge crop of liberals, dying conservatives, and our moderates are tiny, and they're augmented by Latinos who haven't really exercised their political force yet. So what's going to happen? We're saying the next two election cycles, uh, presidential election cycles, are, will be liberal. So that's three more years of President Biden, and then two years, whoever runs. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's, I think it's important for conservatives to understand demographics so they don't, you know, so they know it's coming, right? Instead of uh, claiming certain things. Well, I, listen, I, I speak to mostly very, very right-wing conservative groups, and I'm, and, and I'm saying, folks, it's numbers. Stop trying to take the mystery out of this. It's math. It's not even trigonometry or algebra. It's math. So roll with it. We yep. live in a republic that is the best one on the planet, and the republic can sustain a hit like you cannot believe. How do I know? Because I grew up with hippies. And all <laughs> through the late 60s and 70s, they wanted a revolution. Did they get it? No. What happened to them? The hippies grew up amassed wealth and became Republicans. It's all part of the system. That's what people need to understand. These baby boomers were hippies once. They understand yes. you. you know, the, the beautiful thing about politics, even though it's hard to find any beauty in it these days, but the, you know, there is the balance. <laughs> we, we need each other, right? We, either side, given too much power, it, it, it's not good. We need each other to balance each other. And right now, it's a, for the next, as you said, 11 years, there's, there's going to be more liberal policy. Well, look at it this way. I mean, President Trump uh, did, did, you know, President Trump was very, very conservative. Did he get his way on everything? No, he didn't. And don't worry about it. Neither will the liberals. It, we, what we have is a pendulum that just keeps on going back and forth. And it's the strength of our republic. So let's stop hating our differences and instead recognizing and respecting each other for what each side brings to the table. Because it's, as you said, it is what makes us America. Exactly. So you say that human resources is the new financial resource. What do you mean by that? Well, I got to tell you, I, I don't miss this, but at, at one point in my life, I was very involved in HR. And, uh, <laughs> and, and when we hired baby boomers, they would we'd run an ad in, in the newspaper for help. They'd wrap around their building. Once the baby boomers uh, aged out of that, we went begging. Now, what's going to happen is you have, you have three generations in the workplace. You have baby boomers who are still in the workplace, 57 to 76 years old. So you have a good 10 million of them in the, in the labor force anyway. Then you have generation uh, X, which is who are currently 37 to 56, and they're, they're, a, they're a diminutive population. They're augmented by Latinos. And then you have generation Y, who are 17 to 36, 88 million. These are all culturally very different groups. 
you're going to have to have all of them work for you. To be able to handle that complexity is going to require some wicked smart people. So I tell folks, do not, do not, do not bring in a B player for HR. This, this is not personnel. This is not where you pick up your forms. This is where you determine your fate demographically for your business. So you absolutely have to understand these three generations and how they're going to work because you will literally have a generation Y millennial who will have a baby boomer working for them. Now, how do you think that's going to go? So HR, yeah. HR is far more important than it will, right now than it will ever be probably again or has been. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I actually I interviewed somebody who uh, was brought on as a consultant for Airbnb because the guys that founded Airbnb were so young, they felt like they needed uh, an elder to help them. And he called himself the elder uh, to just bring in things that they don't know. But yeah. just like you said, he was in his, uh, I don't know, late 50s and working for these 20 somethings. Yeah. 20 something billionaires, I might add. <laughs> it's not fair, you know? <laughs> oh. Is there anything else that uh, you want to add that I didn't ask about? Well, um, yeah. Can I give you some statistics that are a little scary? Okay. Because... Uh, sure. Let's, let's go with a little fear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right now we have a labor issue in our country. Yes. Yes. We have a truck driver shortage. We have a manufacturing shortage. We have a shortage period. Do you, if, if we took the number of people that were uh, 25 to 55 in the United States, you know how many, there's about 120 million of us. Take away the women. Forgive me now. Not, not, that's not being biased, but I just want to make a point. That means that leaves 60 million men. True? Okay. Yeah. Okay. What percentage of that 60 million men can't work, don't work, won't work because they're felons? Do you want to guess? I have no idea. A third. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, and, and the reason they can't work is they're not bondable. You can't insure them. You can't, they can't drive trucks. They can't work in the hospitals. They, can't, they almost can't do anything. We need to address that. If we address that, and, and my clients and the clients that I encourage to do that, I say, you know, one, negotiate with your insurance company because they, they will bond these people if you can ensure that you vetted the people and uh, um, as, as good as you possibly can and contracted with them for superb behavior. Mm -hmm. They'll be the best workers you ever had. Because what we're doing is we're, re, we're, we're putting people back to work. We're putting people back into caring for their families. We're putting people back. We're, we're, we're creating dads instead of just fathers. It's, it's got to happen, especially for Black Lives Matter. Because that's, that's one of their principal issues is their males don't work and can't. So it's tragic. And, and I'm not making this up. These are these are real numbers. These are State Department numbers. It, it just is what it is. But we don't know about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a that's a great point. I dated a felon when I was when I was younger, and you know, it, <laughs> we we that's when I learned a little bit more about the system. He was 13 years old. He ran away from home from an abusive situation and found a family who took him in, and they happened to be drug dealers and. He was doing the drug running because he was adorable and young and got caught and went to jail and was a felon. When they let him out, 
they gave them, I don't know, a hundred bucks and a, and a bus ticket and sent them to California. So, you know, how are these people to get back on their feet, right? He, he was able to, and has become really a productive uh, person in society. A lot of times people, like you said, don't give them, give a second chance. So I, I love that. I, I love that. I hope that there are programs um, helping. I know, I know here where I live, you can, you can hire felons to uh, for different jobs around the house and stuff. And we do that a lot, but yeah, fascinating. All right. Okay. Um, well, that's it. Thank you so much. There's so much more to ask, but I'm sure you're busy. hope to have you back again. My pleasure, Kathy. You take care. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. Every time I do an interview like this, it makes me want to just run out the door and buy some more real estate. Even if the numbers don't quite pencil as well as they did a few years ago, they're probably going to look pretty good a few years from now as rents and home prices continue to rise. And if you're looking for income property in some of the fastest growing markets, consider meeting with one of the investment counselors at Real Wealth Network. You can visit there at realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.